You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta and I'm a marriage and family therapist and sexologist. I'm Simone and I am a law student and slut. Um, and this week we are talking to Melissa Carnegie. Um, she's a sex educator, social worker, and the founder of an Instagram group, blog, amazing wealth of information called Sex Positive Families, which is an organization that offers pleasure positive, shame free education workshops and support for parents and caring adults to strengthen sexual health talks with the children in their lives. Her work has been featured on podcasts at national conferences and in news outlets such as HuffPo and Unilad. Alongside Sex Positive Families, she also teaches sexuality education to middle and high school students with Engender Health and Unhushed. She also serves as an ambassador for the American Sexual Health Association and as well as Erica Lust's The Porn Conversation. Melissa lives in Austin, Texas, so she's super weird, with her partner mm-hmm. Ryan, raising three children who are aged five to 19. Welcome. Yeah. Thank Welcome. you so much for having me. Thank you we so much. We have like danced around the topic of um, sex positive parenting in a bunch of our episodes. So we are so f- happy to finally have someone to like just focus on that because we've had so many emails from people being like, am I doing this right? And oftentimes they are. They're like send us these lengthy emails um, of like really wonderful, wonderful ways that they've like talked to their children about sex. Um, but whenever we talk about sex positive parenting, we always get an influx of messages and emails like asking for more information. So fans, we listen to you. Oh. Yeah, no, it's 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 very challenging in our society because sex is is shamed and silenced and repressed often. And so that's a big part of what I do is really work with parents, caring adults, professionals around helping to kind of unpack what that sexual shame and those messages may have been so that it can better position them to be influencers for the next generation um, because it really starts with all of us and the stuff that we're bringing into the conversation um, because we've been trained to talk about a whole wealth of other things related to the body. But when it comes to talking about what's going on with vulvas and penises, then you know that can cause some clamming up. So that's, that's what I do. That's what I do with young people and adults is help us get comfortable with talking about Um, these taboo topics. Why do you think it's so hard to begin with? Um, Why is it so hard? Because, um, gosh, there's so much in our culture. Um, A lot of times it's influenced by religion for a lot of people. People have come from different uh, religious backgrounds that have uh, silenced sexuality, uh, have silenced uh, even bodies, people being in tuned with their bodies and Mm. having autonomy uh, over their bodies. And, um, and so that's what a lot of people are coming into uh, this with, and especially when it comes to parenting. And then there's also sexual trauma that people have experienced in different forms. Um, and, and I'd say also trauma in general related to bodies, not always necessarily sexual. And a lot of those things then can be, you know, depending on whether they were 
addressed and in what ways once those incidences uh, um, occurred for people. Many times they can resurface and be triggered once they're in the position of having to parent or mentor a young person. And, and even when it's around the same age by which they might have experienced that particular uh, trauma. So that can make it very difficult for folks to then figure out what to say and how to say it. And then also um, sex education is just very inconsistently and often poorly educated, um, definitely within the United States. And so we're, <clears throat> as adults, we're operating off a limited knowledge base. Uh, we don't have, you know, we can't say common sense. We can't say these things are common sense because we've not been taught the information and then there's the media. There's the media and all the ways that that sends a lot of inconsistent, sexualized, inaccurate messages. Um, also things happening via social media, ways in which um, people and bodies are sexualized and uh, shamed or repressed in different ways. And that can also look differently based on gender and based on sexual orientation. So my goodness, it is so hard <laughs> for, it, you know, there's all of that stuff wrapped up when people try to show up to a conversation with a young person um, about sexuality and sexual health. So when you say trauma, do you mean all kinds of trauma? Because for people listening, I think there's like the, I don't like to give a hierarchy of trauma, but there's the obvious like, you know, sexual assault and molestation and things like that. But I feel like sexual trauma around sex ed could be anything from like your parents just saying that it's not oh okay God, to touch yeah. yourself or... Yeah, just mm -hmm. something something smaller, like calling your penis a wee-wee, like that that can feel traumatizing. Yeah. Um, or like having an experience and not having anyone to talk to about it, like that's traumatizing. Absolutely. Yeah, oh you're God, hitting yes, on you're all so of those. Right, yeah, you're hitting on all of those nuances. And and something that I also like to, to bring up that becomes a, an aha moment for a lot of people too, are things around body autonomy that were not directly correlated or didn't appear to be at the time to sex and sexuality, but things like being forced to eat past the point of being full, right? So you, you have to clean your plate before you leave the table as a child in some homes. Um, and so mm. someone else having that control over your body or, you know, when you're experiencing certain feelings or certain emotions and you're being told, you know, to stop crying or, you know, you're, you're okay, when parents do that, when caregivers do that, they are they are um, positioning the child not to trust their own body and the experiences of their body and those signs. And so when that happens, then when instances of unsafe touch or uncomfortable scenarios or abuse occur, we may not realize how those other non-sexual um, events and, and practices can make it more challenging for a child to find their voice, to say no, to set boundaries. Um, even when siblings are playing with each other and there's a lot of no, stop, or tickling, right? That's a, that's a big one. All of those things, those are opportunities. And, and in our culture, we've not done a good job of ensuring that young people and adults are clear about how to communicate boundaries and uh, when we need to make sure that a no and a stop is honored. Because again, when, when you then find yourself in a situation and in a relationship, so when there's a commitment that's made, right, uh, between two people um, or more, but when a commitment is made, um, then it's, it can be more challenging to set boundaries, especially if you've 
come from um, an upbringing where your boundaries were not respected. If you had to give certain forms of affection to people, well, these are people mm-hmm. that they're, you're told they love you, they're your family, and so you you have to, right? You you in order to be polite um, or um, in order to be respectful, that you have to do something that you may not feel comfortable. So once again, you're told not to really listen to your body and your wants and needs. So all of those are examples of things that you know, may not be considered sexual, right? O- overtly sexual or about sex, but they're all ways in which we can prime children uh, for unsafe scenarios without really realizing it. So as far as kind of hierarchies of trauma, gosh, it, the, the gamut, you know, it, it's, it's wide, it's vast, um, and it's, mm. it's often not what people immediately think about. So that's a lot of what I do is help people understand all of these nuances so we can figure out what are some new ways that we can talk to our children and know that it isn't just something that happens when they're 16, right? It's something that's happening in infancy and and it's ongoing. Yeah, I I really want to talk about the sex stuff, but I just want to come back to this to to this thing that you're talking about with nuance and how to the thing about like your child not forcing a child to finish their plate, like that's never something I struggled with because I'm a voracious eater and like literally anything <laughs> with in you. front of me. I think Nicolette is on that page too. That was neither some that was not a, yes, a, a boundary that was flouted in our family. But um, even if but I'll say this, so even if if a child is is of on that end of the spectrum, there can be yeah, instances where parents much, are yeah. saying, That's too much, you've had enough, stop, you know, to the right. point where again there's this potentially um a uh, difficult relationship then with food and the body. But yes, totally. I think the big the big example one that we see is like um, at holidays and things like that. And we, we, we posted about this right. around Thanksgiving, but like what seems like maybe a good intention from a parent to teach quote unquote manners ends up being right. an early teaching of like non-consent, like, you know, go kiss your Aunt Sally or like say goodbye, say thank you, like give so-and-so a hug like no exactly. what if your kid doesn't want to do any yeah. of that shit <laughs> for sure exactly but but back to the plate stuff or other things like that, I'm just like wondering how would you describe the the difference between you know parenting and still like setting rules and also not flouting someone's boundaries like what's the difference between making sure and like it, what's the difference between like ensuring your child gets a healthy portion of vegetables every day and like making them eat, like what's that line, and how how do you navigate that? Right. So there's a lot. A lot of this is communication based, and just parents getting comfortable with having more open um, communication, and also teaching because when we communicate openly and effectively um, and thoroughly, completely, then we're modeling that for our young people. We're helping them to see what. Um, effective communication can look like. Um, so there are there are some aspects when it comes to eating. Um, oftentimes, especially when the children are younger, uh, we're the ones that are setting the stage for these moments in different ways. So that may look like the the, the food that we buy. Right, we make choices about how we stock the kitchen or the pantry and what types of foods that we keep available or accessible for things like snacking or particular meals. Um, Also things that happen before, uh, during, and after mealtime. Making kind of conscious decisions about as much as possible about how we approach these things can help 
to minimize conflict um, around eating. Um, and then being able to, to, to talk openly about um, what, if any, limits might exist uh, around certain foods that, um, that your family eats or if there are certain limits, like some families uh, don't do dessert, for example, and other families, you know, really love dessert. Um, and so you can kind of decide and determine for yourselves ahead of time, you know, what are, what are the, um, what are the boundaries or expectations that we have in our home around um, certain foods? That just reminds me of like a kink, a kink conversation or any kind of sex conversation <laughs> of negotiation. Like, here's yeah. the things I'm interested in. Here's maybe a soft limit that we could talk about and negotiate. And Brussels sprouts are a soft limit for me, mom. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. And, and that's the if thing. If you cook them with maple syrup, maybe. <laughs> right. And so that's the thing. I, and I do this, you know, with my kids, it's if they've already told me that they do not like, you know, green beans, for example, then I'm, I, I do not need to try to make them eat green beans. Their green beans have, you know, nutritional components that exist in other foods as well. So we have to kind of take ego out of it. Um, and also that sense of needing to control their outcomes um, and respect their boundaries. If they're saying no to green beans, then we can kind of uh, listen. We, we should listen to that. And if there are maybe other foods or other vegetables that they may like, um, then opening up for exploring, you know, some other options. And fine, if it's, let's say if it's corn, if they just really like corn um, and they're in that phase because kids can be in these different phases with foods as the years progress. <laughs> yeah. um, and they're just like into corn and they just want to eat corn, corn, corn. Um, trust they're not going to like starve. later down the line sometimes they just really want you know this is my month of anal like and then it changes you know the next month. there you go exactly Nicoletta, you're doing a much better job than I am at bringing back to the boning I'm so proud of you <laughs> thank you I'm trying but but I, I love that you're doing that because it's so important to see that all of this is preparatory right it's preparatory for healthy adult sex lives um, yeah. for decision-making as they transition into adulthood. These approximate 18 years that we are parenting uh, young people, generally that's the shortest portion of, you know, in terms of their entire lifespan. Um, so, you know, we, we're, we're seeing them within these critical years, but this is generally not all of their years. Um, so yeah. us ensuring that we remember that, these are children that we're raising. They're not property. They're not our children in the sense of uh, ownership of them. They're autonomous and separate human beings. So in what ways are we preparing them for their autonomy and, uh, and respecting and also giving them the sense that their autonomy should be respected? They learn those things from the early relationships with parents and caregivers. How do we say that it's important though, because obviously like Simone and I care about this and the like, obviously a lot of people care about it who go to your site and go to your Instagram, but how do we try to convince other parents that this is important? Because um, I know a lot of parents are scared that talking about it, like maybe they're more conservative and they're scared that talking about it will lead to more sex and unsafe sex, like which is not true, but they have these beliefs. Right. Um, so how do we help folks come find your resources when they're already like resistant um, and maybe don't want to and think not even about just their resources, kids having just sex. Like ideology. Right. Like so many of us, like I think I don't know a single person. I mean, maybe I do, but 
whose parents never were like, because I said so. Yeah, so so the big thing um, is that uh, safety. Safety is a common um, theme that can feel uh, that can feel less threatening um, than when we throw sex out there, right? So when we can frame all of these different conversations to helping our children to to be safer, to be more mm. um, informed and more aware. Um, so yes, depending on the audiences, especially when I'm doing, you know, workshops or speaking engagements and, and I can kind of work with, uh, you know, diverse audiences in that sense, not everybody would in that space may deem themselves as sex positive. Um, so I, I really focus on centering safety um, because, you know, generally as parents and caregivers, that is a common goal. We, we want to, we feel that sense of, of um, need to protect our children. And um, so I like to talk about not just protection, but preparation. Um, and then also kind of meeting that adult where they're at. Um, a lot of us, like we said, are also working through their own experiences uh, of trauma. And so that can lead people to feel less confident uh, when talking about these things with other people. Um, and so helping to give them the information and the language around these topics so that they can feel better positioned to answer questions. Um, so I generally don't just start with, you know, sex, that topic, because it can be triggering um, for people and instead kind of really start about safety. And what does it mean? Um, also talking about sexual health. What does it mean to be sexually healthy? What does that mean to you? Um, that's a common question that I start with. Um, and it just really gets them to think about it from the context of their own lives and their own experiences. Um, and then what they're hoping for, for the future of their, their child. So sometimes you just kind of have to reframe things um, and reposition things and move it away from just sex talk, birds and bees to help people really understand what are we really trying to foster here. I do wonder though, why do you think some parents don't care about sexual health for their kids? Like when you say sexual health, some parents well, first, but, don't want that. Yeah. And how, how let's talk about how we're defining sexual health. Because yeah. I think what you're like, I think in asking people like what sexual health is, you're asking them to define it. And so I feel like that would be like a good exercise for us to do, because I know for us, like on the podcast, like you and I, Nicoletta, we have a very expansive view of sexual health. Like you're the person who introduced me to the idea of like comprehensive sex ed being obviously like safety focused and also pleasure focused, but also emotionally focused. And like, those are like kind of, I think to me, like the three prongs of sexual health. It's like, because to me, like, an STI is kind of the least, like, whether or not you contract an STI is kind of, like, the least important part of sexual health because it's it's really just the stigma that's a big deal, not the actual thing. And most is, right. like, very fixable and most people have them. But I think much more damage is done through, like, our, like, self-hatred and loathing and, like, societal slut-shaming and, like, uh, concern that we can't orgasm or smell funny or all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. So that's what it is to me. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's when I uh, help folks in understanding again sexual health. Uh, we're talking about a lot of different components. It is not just about sex. 
Sexual health has to do with, um, you know, mentally and like you said, emotionally, um, socially, how we interact with others and ourselves. Um, and that could be around our bodies, um, within relationships, around pleasure. Um, and then I, I like to help um, when we talk about pleasure that that again can be assumptive related to sex. So I, I do some exercises related to kind of unpacking pleasure and um, helping adults understand that pleasure and pleasurable experiences exist outside of sex and how plugged in or attuned are we ever to that? And then also in, in terms of children, right? Children having fun as they're playing with toys or listening to music or in imaginative play or with food or with um, experiences or with nature. Um, all of these things can spark pleasure for people. Um, and mm. so the ways in which we can help to uh, support uh, folks' pleasure and uh, and give them the space to fully experience that and that not be inhibited. And again, that sets that foundation for what pleasure may look like in the sexual sense later on. So just kind of unpacking all of these different nuances around sexual health that uh, definitely in childhood don't directly correlate with sex. Have you watched mm. the new Sex Education on Netflix? I have actually. Um, what did you, and, for, and it is. Firstly, I think our listeners should listen. I think I love Jillian Anderson. She doesn't have great boundaries in the show, but there's a lot about the show right. that I really like. <laughs> yes. Gotta so that watch is. Watch it. Yes, that's a first to. thing. <laughs> that's a first thing is that anyone who is not in the field, um, uh, you know, of. of sex therapy or sexology, um, definitely that character. Um, she uh, certainly accurate. perpetuates some stereotypes <laughs> yeah, um, around that. So is some the premise of the a sex funny. educator? What's that? So the, it's about a sex educator? I know she's a sex therapist and she is the mother figure um, in the, of the primary character. Um, and so, and then a lot, and his knowledge, how he's able then to uh, provide Sex, pure sex therapy for for his friends uh, comes from the fact that you know that this is the work that his mother does and this is the environment the sex positive environment that he's grown up in um, yeah. but it also shows a lot of scenes where she is um, having some very loose boundaries with her clients um, and the and the men that she intersects with and you kind of you get to see over the course of the episodes where that can you know stem from with her in terms of her relationships I won't like spoil things. But um, yes, point point one being that that is not an accurate representation or stereotype that we want, you know, folks to walk away with in terms of sex therapy and um, all of the amazing benefits of it. Um, but I would say like, as far as the the students and the, the themes, I mean, it, it's definitely very sex positive, certainly in comparison to, I would say probably every other, you know, uh, teen movie or show relate that may talk about um, or bring up sex. Um, and so that that's a good thing. Um, I love the fact that this is like a small aside, but they show intact penises. <laughs> um, I think that that kind of diversity, you know, is, is really important. Um, Wait, they show um, penises? They show penises. Yeah. Oh, yes. There's dick. Yes. This is again, this is this is not a show. This is not a show that, you, you know, you would sit and watch with, you know, your 10 or 11 or 12 year old, you know, like, again, this is this is an adult show similar to. Wait, why um, wouldn't you? Well, let me let me just say this with any of 
any content like this, it is up to the adult in the situation, right, to to check it out for themselves first. That's what I always mm. recommend. Same thing with books, um, any any of that stuff. Check it out for yourself because you need to understand too how you feel about this stuff because most certainly it's going to bring up curiosities, questions um, th- from a young person, right, who's who's being exposed to to this information potentially for the first time. So how prepared are you to have those conversations? Um, and so I think it, it is up to the adult to decide once they've checked this stuff out first. And I think they'll get a sense for themselves whether this is something that uh, their young person and they, and they are prepared to watch, you know, together. Um, I do think that it's important that parents, especially of tweens and teens, are aware of the different shows and um, popular things that are going on out there because if they've, you know, if they're not watching it, and they've made that decision, and that's fine. Um, rest assured that peers of your young person um, are watching these shows. Netflix is super accessible. Is Big, Ma- is Big Mouth good for kids, you think? Um, I would say Big Mouth is along this same vein. It is animated, but it is an adult. It was it was made for adults. It was not made for young people, for children. Um, so, so I would say talk, that... Let's talk about what's appropriate for each age. I don't yeah, want to like... Yeah, what is made for them? Yeah, I don't want to give away all your resources, but let's say you're a parent and you're like, I'm going to watch this first. How do we know what's age appropriate for like each main age bracket? So I think it's important for the context uh, to, to get a clear um, context of your child, your home culture that you've set up. If you've never had a conversation about sex with your tween or teen or child, um, then then this is not the sex education um, or big mouth. These are not the shows to use to to start those conversations <laughs> yeah. um, because they're you know they're again both of them are made with adults in mind um, and older teens in mind. Um, so I think that's always important to just kind of pay attention with any media, and this is part of the whole media literacy conversation. But just to to um, be able to understand and dissect who is this made for. Right. This is made for for people, adults um, who already have been exposed to or had some of these similar experiences because they're hoping to, you know, trigger those those memories or uh, make light of or comedy uh, in terms of those types of experiences. So that's kind of one angle. Um, If you've never had any of these talks or had conversations or don't have openness in the home around these things, then sitting down and watching something like this with a young person could also be highly uncomfortable for that young person because mm-hmm. you may not have presented yourself as um, a safe and open and trusting and welcoming uh, adult when it comes to these conversations. So um, that's one thing that I think parents need to, to really get honest with themselves about uh, when they consider what they want to introduce to their children in terms of other you know, media or other resources. Um, Hmm. And then, yeah, so uh, these, the topics that they bring up in this, in the show Sex Education are ones that are relevant to, to like the high school aged students, right? Because those are the characters. So I think then if, let's say you have like a fifth grader, right? Um, And you're thinking, hmm, should I watch this with my fifth grader? Because we have pretty, you know, open conversations. But, but I think to yourself, is this, is what they're going to see um, as far as the dynamics, the um, relationships between peers? Is this something that's relevant to them now? 
right? Is this something that they are going to um, in any way then uh, seek to apply or try to make sense of or understand? Um, and generally, no. At the fifth grade, I would, again, I'm just throwing out kind of ages here for you, but at that level, um, so around um, like 11, you know, or 12, um, we're moving into puberty, right? Where uh, folks are starting to have these changes going on with their body. Um, and so it's, that would not necessarily be that same age range that that show sex education is trying to target with their humor and, you know, their different stories and things like that. So it might just introduce a little too much too soon to have to unpack. And there are lots of other resources that can help you build to something like sex education when it makes sense for them to have that information and context. Hmm. So how do you determine... So like following these like age brackets, like what do you think, I mean, obviously like sex positive parenting is not like a specific conversation about the birds and the bees, right? It's right. a, it's a, it's a way to talk about sex and consent and boundaries and, and all of this stuff that we've been talking about. But what does that conversation about sex look like for someone, for, you know, a young person in kindergarten and a young person in fifth grade, like right before they hit puberty. And then once they hit puberty and then once they're in high school. And then I would even love to talk about like great ways to talk about sex with your parents, even like once you're sexually mm. active and not even like a young person technically anymore. But that is if we have time. But like, yeah. what do the convert, how do the conversations in, in your opinion, like how should they shift with age? And like, what's a good intro point? And like, how early should you start? And like, what's a good way to, to segue into that? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. So um, generally the younger ages, so around four and five and six is when you'll see more of those uh, where did babies come from, you know, type questioning, which um, again correlates with uh, sex generally. So um, you're usually introducing sex in that context of helping them understand reproduction uh, because they're going to have curiosities and and also questions, I say this to parents, when young people have questions, they can tend to be most curious around these younger ages. And so how we respond to their curiosities can really set the stage for how comfortable they feel continuing to stay curious with us as the years go by. Um, sometimes, you know, in as, as they transition into uh, the tween, you know, times uh, and teen years. And then I have like some parents that say, they just don't want to talk to me. You know, they're, they just think it's weird that, that, you know, they're uncomfortable. Um, and then we, we kind of really get honest about well, what was happening when they did present to you with these curiosities or when things came up on the television or on a movie, how did you react to that in the presence of them? Because they pick up on all of our nonverbal and verbal cues around these different topics. They're also taking in what's happening um, socially around these topics, right? So maybe in school, depending you know, if they're going to school outside of the home, um, a lot of these conversations can be commonly shut down in these environments. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. kids can get in trouble for talking about these things. And so all of this sends messages um, to a child as to what is appropriate or inappropriate, what's acceptable or not, and, you know, for the most part, they're constantly looking to fit in or to be deemed acceptable or not to get in trouble. Um, and so we, it's, it's important for us to pay attention to what are the messages that they're receiving about bodies. Um, nudity is, is another aspect of this. Um, how a, a family deals with nudity within their home. Um, there's not 
like a, a black and white, you know, right or wrong way. It's just kind of how your comfort level and your home culture is around that. But, you know, when we're yeah. covering up our bodies, we're telling, we're sending a message, you know, to children mm-hmm. about um, bodies. And if we're not using those as opportunities to talk about, you know, why and and what are some of the, um, of, because every, you know, cultures also can be different when it comes to these different things. So taking all those things right. in consideration, yeah. we're trying I to was help like a very shape. naked child. Were you Nicoletta? Yeah. Very. Was there a point I, I where think, that I think had my to mom stop, talked though. about it? Yeah, I think my mom talked about it in one of our last podcasts, but I would go to like Union Square Park to like where the water area was and just always take my clothes off. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably still be doing that, but now I'd get in trouble for like public indecency. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I, so the- when I would come home from school, I would literally take my backpack off and my clothes. <laughs> like <laughs> that's what I would do in like kindergarten and first grade. <laughs> Um, and my, my, we, nudity was like totally fine. Like my sister and I wasn't a thing. My mother was very often nude, but I wasn't, my father wasn't nude around us. I think that's probably because we were two daughters. Um, and like, we didn't have penises and maybe like they didn't want to have a conversation. I don't know. I don't know what that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's something that's huge that, um, can be internalized just with our culture. Again, the cross gender kind of experiences Mm -hmm. around talking about these topics. Um, and, um, really huge on, you know, the platform to helping parents challenge that because um, that alone sends messages to children about yeah. what is appropriate or to whom and in what way. And there are a lot of assumptions that can be made about, um, and, and I'll say this too, if it's not spoken about, again, if there's not kind of more open discussion or exploration to kind of help a child make sure that they're understanding why, something Mm. is being handled a certain way in their Mm. home or why this particular adult in their life is not talking to them about something or is shutting this particular conversation or question down. Mm. Um, then they, because then you're, you're, the child is, is making up their own like explanation and and narrative around this topic and around whether they can talk to the parent about this. There was a conversation about it because like, because I had, I had a younger brother and I also had male cousins who are my age and we were all always naked together. So it wasn't necessarily a gender thing. I think it was like an adult male thing. And I do remember asking why. I I was like, why don't I see Papa naked? And I think they said, I don't remember, but it was explained to me. That's good. It was acknowledged. It was acknowledged. Yeah. Well, that's good. some people would argue the conversation, you know, like you were you were asking Simone, like when do we have this? How do we introduce it? Um, yeah. And maybe Melissa, you can, cor- not I don't want to say correct me because I know there's different. There's a lot of right ways to do it and a lot of wrong ways to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So maybe not one distinct right way, but mm-hmm. some people will even say, you know, starting when kids can't even talk, you know, when you're, when you're changing their diapers, mm-hmm. you just kind of right. narrate what you're doing and name the body parts. Mm-hmm. So you're like, now I'm wiping your vagina. Now I'm wiping your penis. Now I'm wiping your butt. And like, when you're doing the potty training, you're like talking about like wipe front to back from your vagina to your butt, like, or your anus, like, and you're just kind of naming it. And that starts right. sort of the conversation, the openness and the like properly mm-hmm. naming of body parts. Yeah. Because that. Exactly. That gets everyone involved in that habit of using correct terms and openly talking about these things. So that sends that message that these are not inappropriate topics, that these are completely normal and natural, um, and there's no shame around them. Um, and so, so yes, starting 
early with those actions um, sometimes might feel silly. I've had some parents say that, you know, that just feels kind of odd to, to you know, speak all of these things out loud. Um, but it's also, again, it's, it's building that connection, uh, you know, with that um, infant and also getting in the habit of that in your home so that as they start to get into language themselves, um, then they're, they're, you all as a home are automatically, you know, using those terms and, um, and it's not something that's kept in, in secret or, um, you know, you're, you're not coming up with cute nicknames or anything like that. So it's, it's a real comfort. My my parents were very adamant about using like words like vagina. Um, we didn't say like hoo ha or I don't even know what people are taught teaching their children. Vagina, penis, flowers, boo boo. We said yeah, yeah, we said that we didn't. But my, but it was about all things, right? Like we didn't say boo boo. We said cut. You, my mom was like, no, you don't have a boo boo. You have a cut. You have a scrape. Like use the word. She was very emphatic about that. And I think that's like that's kind awesome. of linked. Like because there weren't little words for anything. It didn't make sense. There would be little par- words for my vagina. But right. um, when we, I, there's this like family story of mine where uh, my sister learned about the word vagina. And like one day, like my parents came into her room to like wake her up and she like waked, woke up and like stretched and stood up and looked down and went, morning, vagina. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I feel like, yeah. so that moment would be like such great feedback, right? To that parents be like, look, look what you fostered, that sense of comfort and that sense of safety around the body. Just as much as um, she could say good morning to her ear, right? She's saying good morning to a part. And then the the added part of that would be just segueing um, into conversations around safety um, and around who can who can touch those parts at any given time, who can see these parts at any given time. Um, and those conversations are, are really great to have like at bath time or when you're um, changing clothes. Uh, those are great opportunities to introduce that. And then, you know, like you mentioned earlier, talking about masturbation and self-soothing, um, those kind of things can happen um, in those earlier years. Um, so instead of swatting, you know, their hands away or, you know, abruptly telling them, you know, don't touch yourself there. Um, There may be a lot of redirection that you'll do, especially when they're around like three, four, five, um, and they're doing these behaviors, their awareness of what's happening around them does not look the same as when they're, you know, seven, eight, nine, and 10. And so they, they many times will age out of, you know, just kind of grabbing their penis in public. Masturbating <laughs> you know, at the dinner pants. table. Yeah. You know, masturbating, you know, on the couch, you know, while everyone's watching <laughs> Oh, that's watching not movies. a good, oh. <laughs> I missed that. You know? I missed that memo. Well, it depends so again, what you, kind you of party you're at. You can return back know? to it. Yeah, well, I'm not masturbating, but I'm definitely holding my vulva. <laughs> I don't know. We're like talking about stuff. <laughs> There you go, you know, and hey, that you can return to that in adulthood, but we're going to send some messages early on <laughs> that kind of help you understand, give you a little more context for those safety purposes. Um, but we want to do it in ways that aren't shaming, you know, so letting them know that it's okay for you to touch your vulva, um, but the best place to touch your vulva is going to be in your room and in private when it's just your time. Right now we're watching a movie or right now we're in the grocery store and this isn't the best time to do that. Um, and then, you know, you again, it's about communication and you will likely have to repeat yourself. Um, and and that's, that's normal. That doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong or that they're, um, you know, wrong or bad or anything like that. It's just, again, their cognition level um, and their awareness of what's happening around them and social norms and all that. It's all just being developed. 
So, so yeah, there's a lot of like redirection that's happening, but you want to gently redirect. I wonder what, what do we see for the, for the sex positive or for the kids of sex positive parents? Like what's been your experience? Like I I think a big fear of folks and talking about this early is they're like, oh, well, they're going to start having sex at an earlier age. Um, But like, what are the Mm -hmm. real ramifications as kids age when they've had some sex positive parenting? Yeah, so I can share um, personal experience when it comes to that um, because I am a parent. Uh, My oldest is going to be 20 in just a little over a month. Um, They're so lucky to have you. Oh, thank, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have them there. It's, it's definitely um, so much that I've learned from being a parent and um, having them in my world. So it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful, but she had, she was a big motivator for me transitioning into this work of sex positive families because raising a girl identified child in, you know, this American society you really have to equip them. So you know, you easy. Really have to arm them. <laughs> right. <laughs> because there's so many messages, right, that women and girls receive um, that tries to um, get them to hate themselves, tries to get them to second guess and question themselves, to feel like they're not enough um, and inhibit their access to, to pleasure and their, their voice. So early on with her, um, I... We, you know, read books like It's Not the Stork. Back then, that was, um, there, there are so many more great books these days that have a more inclusive model. But back then, that definitely was was a really good one. Still is. Um, and so we do were reading It's Not the Stork. Do people still tell their kids about a stork? What's that? Do, do, do people, people? Yes. Do people still do that? I even had a parent tell me that um, they tell their child, who I think uh, is 12, that the baby comes out of their butt. And, oh my you know, so I was like, okay, so this fuck? was just a moment. This was a teachable moment <laughs> that I could have. Um, it, but, but that's that the thing. That would like scar just me really... from going to the bathroom. I'd be like, every yes. time I have to take a shit, is there going to be a baby that plops out into the toilet? <laughs> yeah. We unpacked this. You know what? It's like, we unpacked this because what was underneath all of that, the reason, I mean, she knows that, I mean, clearly, right? She knows that the baby doesn't come out of the butt. Her, the baby didn't come out of her butt. Yeah, right? I hope but, she knows that. Maybe she pooped herself was, while she was giving birth. But it wasn't the baby. Or maybe she gave exactly. birth, you know, maybe it was like twilight, twilight sleep. You uh. know, this is where empathy, this is where empathy is huge in the work that I do. Sorry, because, we're being mean. We're being mean. Sorry. And, so, no, it's, it, no. This it's, is another it, teachable moment. These are Melissa, honest you're like, responses. Stop being bitches. <laughs> No, these are great. These are honest responses. And this is what can make it challenging for people to to um, feel supported in these nuances that they don't understand because they're gonna make it hasn't mistakes. been modeled for them. We can't make them. fun of people. Well, it, you know, right. And, and again, what, what was behind that? What was behind that was the fear, right? Their, her own experiences around learning about her body. Uh, which are things that she's still trying to learn and understand. So it's uh, just because you all know this, right? Just because we become a quote unquote adult doesn't mean that we have anything figured out, right? Or that we've been equipped to really adult. (laughs) So our bodies and sexuality and relationships are certainly um, high on that list of the things that we are not equipped to really effectively manage. Um, So, so yeah, so it's... um, 
it's important that, um, so I was saying as far as my, my daughter goes, like starting those conversations early and normalizing for her, um, her own pleasure. Um, you know, there was a moment where, uh, you know, she was self-soothing and, um, and it, it was happening, you know, in my presence. And so that was a teachable moment and we could talk about it. I could acknowledge it. It wasn't something that she then felt like, you know, there was something wrong or bad about her. And you can just simply state there, state those things. You know, there's nothing wrong with you touching your body. I'm glad that you're getting to know your body and that you're spending time with your body. Here are some safe spaces where you can do that. Here are the best places. And, and this is why, right? So we just frame it just, you know, really matter of factly. And what questions do you have about that? Um, mm. And so when uh, how did then she respond? As, like, what questions did she have? She was around nine at that time, and she really was just listening and taking it in. So she did not at that time have any questions about that. But what makes it really cool is that even if they don't have questions about things, but you just open that up for them, when they do have questions, you've opened that door. And so sure enough, as the years passed on and as our conversations transitioned, you know, into like her being interested in relationships, right, with others, um, or her having questions about the changes that were going on with her body, um, we were able to, there wasn't hesitation um, or a sense of needing to be secret or to go somewhere else to find mm. out the facts um, of that information because the, the ways in which I handled or presented this earlier on. It just created this as a, just a natural part of, of our home culture and our family and our relationship. So just the connections, one of the huge selling points is just the deeper connection that you can have and foster with your child. So if and when something goes on that is either troubling, um, unsafe or uncomfortable or risky, they're more likely to seek out your help and your support or to come to you um, to let you know when something like that has happened um, versus keeping secrets um, or going elsewhere where that that resource may not be, may not have their best interest in mind. Totally. So I think one of the first that, adolescent sexuality classes that I took, I remember the teacher saying, um, give them the information, like know when it's okay to give them the information because they asked about it. So like open right. the door, let them know that they can talk to you but don't like overload them with information and give them like a whole spiel on anatomy when they're just asking like, you know, where do babies come from? Um, yeah. And kind of let Put them the PowerPoint clicker away. Ready. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I want to, if my daughter asks me where babies come from, I may whip out my speculum. <laughs> you know, th th it's great to, to that. Well, I'll, I'll say on that, like, that's why I love just the many tools and things that, and resources that are out there because, you know, kids many times are really, you know, visual or can be really tactile. And so when you can introduce these concepts um, as more than just a talk, as more than just a conversation, but you can have things, you know, like books um, or you can have like puzzles um, or things, you know, again, related to anatomy or plushies. There are so many like cool things that exist nowadays around these different yeah, the topics. Vulva, the vulva puppet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like Or like showing your child their like birth video. Yes. 
videos are wonderful. Um, Amaze.org is a wonderful resource that I, every chance I get, I'm just like, you know, parents, you got to go and, and, and check out this Amaze. They now, they started out targeting tween and teen ages with their short videos. And now they've expanded out for parents of young children. Um, so they just have so many great videos and they're short, they're fun. And so just playing that video on these different topics, topics like masturbation, puberty, menstruation. Um, Amazing. All kinds. Yeah. So when you can do that and introduce these things, and it just gives you something to um, spring off the conversation with, and it gives them a new way of, of receiving and interacting with this information. And it takes the pressure off of parents to feel like you have to know it all. Yeah. What are some... Um we probably only have like, we don't have a ton more time, but I'm just curious, like, what do you, people are like thirsty to know, like kind of what they should be doing and also what they shouldn't be doing. And obviously every like relationship is different. Every, you know, uh, caregiver has a different relationship with their uh, charge, but like, what are some do's and don'ts? Yeah. So, um, do see your child as an autonomous person, as their own Mm -hmm. being, who has a right to their own um, choices and that they may not make the same choices at any given time on any given uh, experience that you may make, um, but they're theirs and they're valid um, and that you are a mentor. That's, uh, mm. That is kind of a, 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 a reframe. You're a mentor um, and a guide versus a gatekeeper, right? Versus an investigator versus a police officer. We don't want to have those kinds of dynamics with our children because again, when and if they need us, when something, you know, serious goes down, then we want to make sure that they feel safe and comfortable. Um, Another thing is to um, have compassion (laughs) for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no such thing as being a perfect anything, but being a perfect parent, um, being, you know, perfect in terms of these talks, just showing up as you are, as your whole self, as your vulnerable self, like children receive vulnerability quite well. Um, and it also gives them the opportunity to practice empathy. So being honest, even through our discomfort. So if having these types of talks feels really uncomfortable, but you're someone who's like, I know that I need to do this, but I'm uncomfortable you can show up with that type of vulnerability and say, you know, when I was younger, my parents didn't talk to me about this. Or when I was younger, mm. my parents um, really made it hard for, for me to, to get this information. But I want you, it's important that you have this information because I want you to be really powerful um, and really strong and really know your body. And so when you kind of get to know what your why is and get comfortable seeing the value in sharing what that might look like, you know, to your child, especially as they're, you know, in their older ages. And this is really relevant to parents who may have tweens and teens now and are like, crap, I didn't do any of this stuff, (laughs) you know, and like, I, I want them to be prepared, but I, we have not been talking about, you know, sex or bodies or anything because, you know, for my reasons, it's okay to come. It's never too late. Mm. It's never too late. You can come in and, and, and again, just state, um, what your hope is and how you want to get there, you know? So, so I'd love to be able to talk with you about, you know, sex now, what is it? And then questions, 
using questions are really powerful um, so that we're listening and creating that listening space um, more so because they have a lot to share, especially when they're in their tweens and teens. They're being exposed to a lot out there. Um, I know a whole nother conversation in terms of porn and everything and sexually explicit media. Um, but young people, if they have smartphones, they have devices, if they have friends who have smartphones and devices, then for sure, you know, they're, that possibility is high that they've been, um, that they've seen or heard about. And so how can we prepare them for these conversations and, um, for these interactions and these experiences? So they're not feeling really confused or internalizing a lot of mixed messaging or inaccurate messaging about these things. Um, and then, yeah, so the, I, I would say that um, making sure that you have support and whether that's mm. support in terms of resources, um, you know, of the many books and, and websites and all of, you know, the things that, that I share and that others out there are sharing, um, you don't have to come up with the scripts, you know, or the information. It's, it's out there. Um, so really it's making sure that, um, you also have support if you're in partnerships or if you have other caregivers that are involved, um, have conversations to kind of get to know where your values, you know, really lie and are they in line or are there certain areas around sexual health that they may differ? And it is good for children to have different perspectives on these different things. And it's okay to tag team in different ways. So if you're in a partnership raising a child and one parent's really struggling with this one, you know, area and they're like, that's cool. I'll, you know, another parent feels a little bit more confident. They can handle it. That's perfectly fine. You can really choose your own adventure in this. The point is just that you're, you're having the conversations, you're keeping an open, shame-free space um, so that when the questions come up, when something is happening, you know, on TV or movies or, you know, uh, in the media, that you're ready to leverage those into conversations that can help them understand themselves, relationships, the world around them. I think that's so wow. well said and, and is reflective of being, you know, be, having healthy relationships as an adult is giving that permission that like, yes, you're going to mis make mistakes, you're going to misstep, um, and don't worry that you're going to like fuck up your kid forever, but that you can make this mistake and you can revisit it. You can own that mistake. You can be vulnerable. You can have a conversation about it, just like in an, in an adult or teen relationship where sex doesn't always go well or conversations don't always go well. And you can revisit exactly. it and process it more and have a conversation about it. And we are so grateful for the work that you're doing in this for, for adults, for kids, for, for people of all ages. And obviously, we love the resource that you are. So how can people find you and hire you and check out what you're doing um, and get connected to some of these other sites too? Yeah, so um, sexpositivefamilies.com is the website and tons of resources there. One of our most uh, used resources, our reading list. So we have a reading list of over 100 sex positive uh, books, books around sexual health topics. Um, and we have them separated by the different ages, including books for parents and caring adults. Um, so it, books just really help to make the conversations um, a lot easier. So we have that. Um, there's also a guide to raising sexually healthy children that's available on our website. And it covers um, all of these many nuances through the, the, through the years, through the different um, ages of raising a child. 
Um, and yeah, definitely uh, we do speaking engagements and workshops. We're going to be doing a puberty workshop uh, coming up in a, in a few months that I'm excited about. Um, and we also have a podcast. Um, so we have one Ooh, season. Podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of podcasts? No. <laughs> so we have Slightly. one season of right, just a, a little familiar, um, 12 episodes. And, uh, it's where I've interviewed experts, um, in, in the, in the field of the, of different topics that we cover that can help to strengthen the conversations. Um, so we talk about how to support, um, trans and queer youth. We talk about, um, uh, the pelvic floor <laughs> and amazing. And, uh, oh my God. Know, I can't the, wait to listen. Yeah. Yeah, so lots of different topics. So, um, and there's a really robust resource page that we maintain on the website too. So, other resources I yeah, talked about: great. Maze, Scarletine, um, Rain, uh, which is the Rape Abuse Incest mm-hmm. National Network. So, there are so many resources to support parents and caring adults in having these conversations. Um, so, taking that step to just get connected, even if you're just passively kind of checking out um, things on social media, we put out a lot of content there. Um, we're here though. If you're needing help and taking that next step, um, then don't hesitate to reach out and, um, we got your back. Yeah. The gram is so good. It's actually, it's inspirational. I'm like, oh my God, how did I not, how did I not think of that? Obviously I'm not an expert, but I'm just like glad that I have these thoughts percolating in my head before I'm a parent. I like made the speculum comment as a joke, but I think I'm actually going to do it. You, there, that would be wonderful. It's a tool. You know, and can you imagine? It's great to let them know like, what that tool does. <laughs> like I literally, I thought that you had to cut a hole. Like when I hit puberty, my parents, and I was like pretty aware about sex and stuff, but I thought that when it was time for me to hit puberty, my parents would like bring me to a doctor and then they would cut my vagina in my mm-hmm. body. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's a perfect and, like, example. If my mother had just showed me hers, then I would have been like, oh, okay, that's what it looks like. See. That's, but I don't that's, blame her for not doing that, obviously. That's the thing. It's just, how are they going to know if we don't open up those conversations and, and those make legs. that space for those curiosity and the legs? Yes. <laughs> but, and, and, you know, that goes back to shame again. We want, we want to help them prepare for that future where those legs might be opening. We want to help them not feel shame over that. Exactly. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us. If you want to follow what we are doing, we will post all of the resources uh, that Melissa listed in our about section on Libsyn or wherever you hear your podcasts. But if you want to follow what we're doing, you can go to slutsandscholars.com. Our Instagram is slutsandscholars. Our Twitter is slutscholars. And we always love to hear from you at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Nicolette and Simone.